Welcome everyone to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host Jordan Ranon here, ESPN, ESPN.com Giants reporter. And we're coming off a 25 to 22 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles. The Giants are now 3 and 8. And we'll call this the season capper, right? Because now you can't even dream about the playoffs, okay? They were three and seven and people were coming up with these ridiculous scenarios. And I told you, I said, look, here's the deal. Ready? I'll believe and I'll talk, I start talking about the Giants seriously in the playoffs if they beat the Eagles and the Bears. Two tough games, which by the way, they were going to be big underdogs in. So they win those two games. They still have what? Four to go, which is a long way in the NFL to win out. But if they got to that point, then we could seriously contemplate. And they didn't. Uh, disappointing loss, a lot to break down from that game. Uh, you know, it's just the latest in a disastrous season that followed up a disastrous season. So we're not going to get too bogged down into the, you know, the details of the game. And there's a lot of things you could complain about from the coach, the coaching decisions, uh, the quarterback, uh, his interception at the end of the first half and some of the bonehead plays, the, the timeout, which proved costly in the third quarter, which to me was the one thing that maybe bothered me the most, is 15 years in the league, you third and 18, just take the penalty. That's a rookie quarterback kind of mistake, right? And I went back and even looked, because I wasn't going to put it on Eli and say that, you know, that's his fault, definitely. I went back and looked, maybe the sideline called the timeout, but I went back and looked, and no, the quarterback in third and 18... At the beginning of the third quarter, call timeout. And that's just inexcusable. Just take the penalty there. They were giving up the play anyway. They were giving up the first down. And they eventually ran a screen to Wayne Gallman after the timeout. So they're basically giving up the potential for they were just punting. They were punting on the situation. And they wasted a timeout that would have come in handy later in the game. Because the Giants desperately needed it. They would have got the ball back with like a minute left. Instead, they get it back with 22 seconds, I think it was. There's a huge difference there, right? So that, to me, was the one that really made me scratch my head. And look, there's a lot of complaints. So you could start with Pat Shermer. And the Giants, we know they blew a 19-3 to lead. Uh, Saquon Barkley has a huge first half, right? 94 yards rushing. He scores a touchdown and uh, as a, on the run. And the pass. Second straight week in the first half alone. She's got 94 yards rushing, two total touchdowns. The, the Eagles absolutely cannot stop them. And then it all falls apart. Giants have 56 yards of total offense in the second half. Saquon barely touches the ball, which, and here's my, here's where I stand on this complaints, right? Okay. He wanted to rest Barkley early in that second half, keep him probably fresh for the rest of the game. And, that was sort of, it seemed like a pre-planned kind of thing. He said, you know, they pick and choose as the game flows, but they want to make sure that they're not killing this guy, right? Which, as a Giant fan looking at the big picture, you have to appreciate because he's their star running back. He was the number two overall pick. This essentially is a lost season. We know that, right? So you don't want to run this guy into the ground as a rookie He's never had this big a workload. We're talking about a guy, by the way, who has said, when I've talked to him before, he's told me at Penn State, they kind of 
kept him on a pitch count in practice. Like they they were really careful with this guy. So he's never played a season anywhere near as long as he's going to this year. He's probably going to have more touches. I got to look it up, but I'm pretty sure he's going to have more touches this year than he ever had in college. He's playing a 16 game season for God's sake. So to rest him for one series, not the end of the world. Wayne Gallman was having decent success in that game. He actually finished with, uh, where is it here? Five carries for 25 yards. So he was averaging five yards a pop. Not bad, right? That's not bad at all. So, you know, to get Wayne Gallman in there, I mean, you see guys, there's, there's running backs in this league, like Alvin Kamara and uh, Melvin Gordon. A lot of these guys, most teams don't play their running back 95, 96, 97% of the snaps. There's a few guys. There's the Todd Gurley's of the world and the Ezekiel Elliott's of the world. And, you know, those guys, they lean on them. They play almost every snap, and they, they, they pretty much barely have a backup on the roster that's even worth putting in. But you got to kind of understand for Pat Shermer here the desire to do that just a little bit. And we're talking about early in the third quarter. Now, I get it. Maybe it was a little peculiar because I probably might not have done it exactly that time because you could kind of sense the momentum switching after that halftime interception, right? The Giants should have had a bigger lead. They were up 19-11 at halftime. They should have been up more. But to me, the bigger complaint is on the fact that, okay, he sits out of drive. And they only he can't predict that they're only going to run 21 plays in the entire second half, right? And 20% of them came on that drive when Saquon was on the bench. There was a three more beforehand. So eight of the 21 were already dead. They are only going to run 13 more plays. And three of them were going to be at the end of the game. So the offense was essentially, he, he didn't, can't predict the future. He can't predict that they're going to be on the field that little. The problem is when they were on the field, he didn't get the touches that he needed. Right? He had such success in the first half. That you come back, Saquon sits out a series, he comes back into the game, you throw the ball three straight times, and then two more times, I believe, on the next series. Like, what? That's where you gotta get him the ball. Get this guy going again. Get the first down, you know, get those first downs, get the markers moving, get the chains moving a little bit, get everybody into the action, and get, and then you could start mixing in that passing game. Cause that's really what the Giants, and I've, I've watched a lot of it lately, right? And I watched, I sat down, today I'm taping this on Tuesday, so I sat down and watched the first half last night on the All-22, the film, and then the first half this morning. Their offense has basically been molded into a run-first kind of scheme. I know they pass twice as much, but they're, they're running power formations, and sure, they're running passes out of that, but they're, they're working out of the running game. It's sort of like backwards from what the, the top teams in the league are doing, right? The top teams in the league are essentially their pass first teams and their run kind of works off that. But the Giants are operating essentially like the Dallas Cowboys are, right? A lot of heavy formations, a lot of power formations, a lot of fullback. I think, uh, Eli Penny, their fullback played a season high 11 snaps. So the each, and each week it's been growing. A lot of two tight ends, Scott Simonson and Red Ellison. They're becoming bigger factors, even though Evan Ingram didn't play, but they were even bigger factors the previous week. So a lot more two tight ends, uh, fullback situations. I mean, this is how the Giants came out of the bye week and they said, this is the best way to operate our offense. It's sort of like, we're going to pull back on Eli a bit. We can't sit there and say, okay, we got to build our offense and our entire chances of success around the quarterback we have to build it around Saquon Barkley and then everything else will play off that 
Now, I don't know how sustainable that is long-term. I actually don't think it really is, uh, especially unless you have a really good defense. And we can see that the Giants don't have that. They need to win with their offense. And you score points in this league with the passing game. And the Giants certainly aren't doing that this year. Eli has 14 touchdown passes uh, in 11 games. That's certainly not going to get it done for a team that needs to win offensively. Now, Saquon, on the other hand, he has 12 touchdowns. The rookie record, I believe, is 22. Uh, I forget. Is it Eric Dickerson? I got to look it up again, but something, something like that. So he's likely not going to get a 22, 24, somewhere in that range, but 12 total touchdowns. Guy's a stud. We know that. We know what he brings to the table. He's catching seven passes. He's running for a hundred yards on 13 carries. He actually had 101 yards on 11 carries. I even wrote this down during the game. 101 yards on 11 carries on the first drive of the second half. He reached that number. He ended with a hundred and one hundred and I'm sorry, 13 carries, 101 yards. So he had 101 yards on 11 carries. I'm not sure if I said that right or wrong. Anyway, so he finished with 101 yards on 13 carries. So after the first drive of the second half, he had two carries for zero yards. After he had 94 in the first half. So you want to talk about the bad? The bad is the way they use Saquon Barkley in the second half. The good is that Saquon Barkley's a stud. You know, Odell Beckham's still doing his, still doing his thing. Uh, you gotta like what you've seen at least from Pat Shermer's play calling and his ability to scheme guys open. That part of it, I think, is positive. I look at the film and I see guys open. I see him being able to scheme guys open pretty consistently. Guys running wide open. I mean, even the two-point conversion, the Giants don't convert. Another questionable decision. We'll get to that in a second when we get to the bad. Uh, but Red Ellison, wide open. Just a throw that Eli Manning has to be able to recognize and make. It's right in front of him. There's two levels. There's, you know, he's looking at those two guys. Those are two easy reads right on top of each other. You got to recognize which guy's standing wide open and which guy's not. Said he throws to Penny, who's got double coverage on him. Can't happen. Again, veteran quarterback. Cannot happen. Landon Collins, I thought was a stud. I mean, if you watch that game, I know you're going to say he can't cover, blah, 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 this and that. And I get it. But I was watching that film, and I said to myself, if Landon Collins was playing next to a good free safety, and Curtis Riley, again, he struggled. He, he His tackling is not good. Doesn't provide that much. Just below Well below average free safety. So, but Landon Collins was just knifing. I mean, he might, he might have made like a five plays at or near the line of scrimmage. Easy. I mean, guy's a playmaker. He made single-handedly, and he's taking on, I'm, I'm talking about, and there'll be clips up on Instagram this in the next couple days. I'm talking about plays where he's like taking on offensive linemen, fighting his way off them, and making plays near the line of scrimmage or in the backfield. He had two tackles for a loss, and a quarterback hurry officially nine tackles. If this guy was in the right situation where we didn't have to, they didn't have to ask him to cover, you'd be like, this is one of the best players in the league. I mean, he looked awesome on that tape. Now let's get to some of the bad, right? The Eagles dominated in the second half with their offensive line. The Giants' defensive line, without Snacks Harrison there, is not the same against the run. Okay? 
Dalvin Tomlinson, I personally don't think that that's the position for him. Nose tackle. The Giants, they said when they traded snacks, they thought that Tomlinson was better suited there. Maybe on running, on passing downs, but not on running downs. I just don't see him as being a two gap kind of nose tackle guy who can take on two blocks and fill that, that middle. Instead, you see him getting moved out of gaps and Eagles running the ball down their throat. I mean, they just dominated that second half, that equals offensive line. It was one drive where they just, where they went, ran in for a touchdown eventually where they just ran the ball down the Giants throats. And that's worrisome. So, and then when they want to hit pass plays, by my count, they threw at Janars Jenkins zero times in the game. Zero. So they attacked the Giants and said, okay, that's their top cornerback. We know that, right? We're not even going to go. We're in that direction. We don't even need to. Because we can just attack these safeties and linebackers in the middle of the field like it's nothing. Alec Ogletree, Tay Davis, uh, Curtis Riley, even Landon Collins when they use him there. Right? And just attack them all day. Zach Ertz, the Eagles tight end, I swear he could have had 200 yards receiving if they wanted to throw to him more. Instead, he was seven catches on eight targets for 91 yards and a touchdown. I mean, it was just easy. And then Dallas Goddard, their other tight end, ends, adds three catches on four targets for 33 yards. So you're talking 10 catches on 12 targets for 124 yards. I mean, tight end, it's just the middle of the field. Is, it's like easy money. And then you want to talk about Shermer. I mean, some of the decisions he makes, questionable. I don't mind the two-point conversion that much early in the, in the opening drive. He went for two after a penalty made it from the one-yard line. Um I don't mind it that much. Some of the timeouts and stuff, you have to wonder what the heck is going on there. That, to me, was more concerning. I know that that probably goes more on Eli, but, you know, he sits there and he takes blame after the game for Eli's interception, too. I mean, what, what are we covering up here? Okay. Quarterback, 15 years in the league. He threw a bad pass. He, he, he obviously misread something, underthrew it greatly, and he threw a terrible interception that Giants should have went into halftime up at least more than one score and they weren't probably should have I mean the, the fact that they were only up by eight at halftime you knew it was disappointing and you could see where this game was headed because they should have been up by more they were doing whatever they wanted offensively and then they just shut down that offensive line I will say this Jamon Brown and Chad Wheeler that right side still the problem Jamon Brown solidified a little bit and he's a positive as a, as a run blocker, sure. But still, in my eyes, that's something they're going to have to address. That right side of the line, likely even right guard. I mean, maybe you could throw him in in the mix and, and, and say, okay, we'll we'll put him in a competition. But Jamon Brown's not a, a long-term answer to me. Because you look at it and you say, the Giants are going to need some top-end linemen, right? They're going to need guys. If you want a good offensive line, you got to have some pro Bowl all pro caliber lineman. Now Nate Solder has proven he's an and he played well. I thought you wanted to talk about the good, the positive. Nate Solder played well. I know he committed a false start penalty, proved costly in the second half, but he overall played well. Did you hear Brandon Graham's name called? No, you didn't. Because Nate Solder did a good job against him. But is he a Pro Bowl lineman? No, his career suggests otherwise. He's been in a league now for a, a solid sample size. And he's just an, you know, above average left tackle. Okay. Yes, he gets paid as a pro bowler, all pro. That's what happens when you have free agency, but that's not what he is. Will Hernandez, we'll see right now. Looks promising. I'm not sure if that's all pro, 
Pro Bowl caliber, but it's definitely solid starter caliber. Caliber, maybe he grows into something more. But right now, I see solid, solid starter. John Jalapio, if he comes back at center, what is that average center? Who knows? He hasn't doesn't have a big sample size. Uh, Jamon Brown again, probably average, below average, probably even. Uh, you know, he committed a penalty, really gave up a sack. I think the sack is, uh, eventually went to uh, Chris Long, who came as against Chad Wheeler. But you know, so every game you're, he's he's has a couple of those between penalties and sacks. So you're seeing that there was a reason the Rams released him. He's not a top caliber starter. I think we probably should knew that coming in and uh now is he better than what they had it? Sure. But I'm not sure if it's anything the Giants should be a hundred percent certain they want to move forward with. Because on that right side they have him and Wheeler. Both guys are probably at you know, depth or or bottom end starter. So they need to find a top end starter somewhere, somehow. You don't get him that often in free agency. Maybe they can find a guard. Probably not a tackle. I, I think it's hard to find a pro ball tackle in free agency. I don't know why any team would let a pro ball tackle go. Although uh, Andrew Whitworth was available a couple years ago, those kind of guys are a rare situation where he just wants to leave. He's been somewhere so long for a losing team. But they're going to have to find, whether it's draft, free agency, anywhere. And Olivier Vernon, not his best game. Uh, he's been struggling this year. He did get a pair of quarterback hits, and but I thought overall he lost that matchup to Jason Peters and the Giants. are going to need more from Olivier Vernon, uh, and it's looking really strongly like Olivier Vernon. This is probably going to be his last year with the Giants. It's between his contract, the injuries, everything put together, the production doesn't match the number at this point. I think everybody can agree on that. Has not it has been a rough season for him. And you could tell. It's wearing on him. He's in a tough spot right now. He's going up against top tackles every week, right? It is he maybe maybe he's not a hundred percent. I don't know. I just haven't seen the same player out of him, and that that's that's troubling for the Giants because they don't have any real pass rushers. Where are they going to get them? Where are they going to get the pass rushers? They don't have any serious pass rushers. And my biggest concern with this defense right now, moving forward, because look, when we're talking about the Giants, we're talking about future now. They're three and eight. We were talking about future for a while now. But one of the biggest things missing from this team, it's such a big thing in today's NFL, is interior pass rush. They don't have a real interior pass rusher. BJ Hill looks like a decent player. You know, he could be a, he could be a starter, maybe a quality starter, but again, just not seeing that special, right? They need a guy who, when you put in there, he's going to get push, get to that quarterback just about every pass rush. Like he dominates the guards. The good teams have that. You saw it on the Eagles, Fletcher Cox. I mean, he's a beast, an absolute beast. You see it on the Rams, Aaron Donald. You see it uh, on the Texans. I mean, JJ Watt kind of plays in there. You know, he plays defensive end in a three-four. Like a lot of interior rushes. Like those kind of interior rushes are huge. I mean, Fletcher Cox had three quarterback hits. He plays on the interior. He's getting constant push. The Giants don't have anybody like that. It makes it hard for the edge rushers. It makes it hard for the secondary 
because they're put out there, hang, hung out to dry. It makes it hard for the defensive coordinator. James Betzer's trying to blitz. He's double A-gap blitzing with his linebackers in order to try and get pressure. He's sending his cornerbacks, his slot cornerbacks, his safeties. Landon Collins is blitzing plenty because they just can't naturally create pressure. So going forward, that's going to be something they need to worry about. And then the other main topic when you're talking about the Giants is the quarterback position because we're talking about moving forward. Eli Manning's 38, you're going to be 38 years old in about a month. Okay. The Giants really, everybody knows where I stand on this. They need to move on from this. They're, look, they're not going anywhere with him as their quarterback. So in my opinion, they're going, and, and everybody knows this, they're going to have to find somebody, right? But in my opinion, they should do it sooner rather than later because the longer you, you, you drag this along, the longer the process is going to take to get to that next guy to move past this generation or this Eli era that we're still in. Because with the roster that they have at this current time, it's a bad team. They went 3-13 and last year. They're going to go 4-12 and or 5-11 and this year. So what's the use of continuing to go forward like this? You need to inject some new life. They need to go in a different direction. Sometimes, and I was in Indi- I was in Philadelphia when it was the end of Andy Reid's time there, and you just feel the need for change, right? Everything is just stuffy. It's the same. It gets stale. And that's the feeling I get with the Giants offense. I mean, it's even with a, a new coach and a new system this year, it still feels stuffy and stale to me. And, yes, maybe Eli Manning can can succeed somewhere if the situation were perfect. I don't know where that situation would be. I have a hard time drawing it up and imagining it. You like where he gets protected and, you know, he has good weapons around him and there's a real good defense on the other side. But let's be real. You got to be real about where the Giants are. They're nowhere near that. Nowhere near that. So how do they get past that? Can we take a look at Kylo Letta? And they talked about, Doa, why are you, why are you going, why are you jumping over Alex Tanny? Look. Okay. Pat Shermer said that. We don't want, let's not, nobody wants to see that. Nobody. Nobody wants to see a 31 year old. Okay. You got to give fans hope for the future. That's the whole point of this last five weeks of the season. Build toward the future, next year, the year after. And by giving Kylo Letta some playing time, it makes the most sense because they just invested in him. He's 21 years old. Maybe he evolves into something. Maybe he develops into something. Maybe not. The odds are probably against him. But the earlier you start the clock, the earlier you reap those dividends, if there are any. So that is what we're going to be talking about here in the final five weeks of the season. Because that's what it's all about right now. Building towards the future. Okay? And the number one position of interest is the quarterback. Because without a quarterback in today's NFL, you basically have no chance. On to the next one. Yes, it's that time of the podcast where we go and dig into your deepest, 
and darkest giants and everyday questions in my favorite part of this podcast. It's called Giants After Dark. And today, we're going to answer some questions via email, Instagram, and Twitter. So remember, you can find me on any of these places, ask me all the questions you want, and I'll do my best to answer them. So, first up, via Twitter, just a guy, I am not a bot 94 asks, how much time does the coach get until he's on the hot seat? Okay? Now, I know everybody's mad about Pat Shermer. They didn't like what they saw on Sunday in the loss to the Eagles. And I get it. Much of it is well-deserved. And I get it. There's been some things this season where you scratch your head and you wonder. You say, man, these things concern me long-term about Pat Shermer. Some of the timeouts, some of the play call, just a lot. Some of these moves in general, the two-point conversions, which I don't mind much. I'm, I'm all right with being aggressive on the two-pointers. But I get it. These are things that people look at long-term and they say, you know, I just don't see a great coach there. Fine. Totally, totally on board with that. Like you're, you have valid complaints, but it's his first year and there's some positives. They, they've played hard. They haven't quit on him. Okay. I know that's a low standard, but after last year, that is a standard. And also I do like his offense. I know you can complain about some of the dump downs and stuff. I don't think that most of them are planned and called. I think there's chances to take shots downfield and the quarterback to be a little more aggressive. And Shermer just kind of eats it and he sucks it up and he says like on the, on the interception at the end, they have, that's my fault. Nobody believes that's your fault. Okay. We've already seen multiple times where they have the camera on him and he's yelling, throw the ball. Okay. You see plays like the two point conversion where he, Shermer basically admits, he says, well, there's a guy wide open in the end zone, basically saying my quarterback should have thrown the guy to the guy that was wide open in the end zone. So there's things to like about Pat Shermer and you get at least this year, right? I mean, Ben McAdoo went 11 and five though and was fired after his second year. Now, Pat Shermer's probably going to go the opposite, 5-11. and 11, So he can't have his second year go to complete crap like Ben McAdoo did. Right? He can't have everything just go off the charts and just lose control of everything. That will doom him. But in general, I think he's got three years. Okay? Barring another just a disaster next year that might even be worse than this. I think Pat Shermer gets some time. Part of that is the quarterback situation. They realize they need to start building towards the future. So Pat is going to get a chance with a different quarterback at some point, whether it's next year or the year after. And his fate will ultimately, in my opinion, be tied to whoever that next quarterback is. So when you're talking about Pat Shermer being on the hot seat, no, I don't see it. I likely don't see it next year either. Unless, of course, they like go 1-15 in or something like that, right? Something crazy like that. But he's safe for now. And while they may have some concerns, John Mara came out a couple like maybe like a month or so ago, said he likes the direction that the GM and the and the head coach have them in. 
We'll see how much that holds true because they were one, they were one and seven. They are three and eight. It's not a good season, but they've got some time. Danny Irvin sent me an email. He said, question for after dark. Regardless of how many games they win this year and where they are in the draft, what is the point of playing Loletta? There's absolutely nothing the kid can do that should make the Giants not try to take a young quarterback next year. What is the freaking point? And why don't fans shut up about wanting to see Loletta? Even if he comes out and throws for nine touchdowns in a game, they still need to draft a new quarterback. That is true about drafting a new quarterback or getting a new quarterback in some way, shape, or form, right, for the future. I think we all understand that. But why wouldn't you want to start the clock on Kylo Oletta? Give him experience. I think there's a benefit for guys to play. You get in a game. You learn what game speed is like. You learn from your mistakes. You learn what it's what it's like to play with Odell Beckham, of what he likes. Just little things. You want to learn about guys. How does he handle pressure? Is he able to go in that huddle and command it? Why wouldn't you want to see that? At least you could find out if Lolette is a capable backup quarterback. You know, you could, you could see signs. Yes, I understand. There's nothing that he can do to come out here and say, he's so good, we are good at quarterback for the future. I agree. That would be just a ridiculous assessment. But I still think there are benefits. What's Tell me, what's the benefit of playing Eli Manning at this point? You're, you, are they really that concerned? And I know they have to pretend they are, but they're sitting here. I, I, does it? Do they really need to win all these games? Should that be the number one concern or should be should getting your team in a position moving forward, the best position moving forward to make a decision on the most important position in the NFL, quarterback, their future. I think you can learn a lot about Kyle Oletta if he gets to play two games. I understand. It's just a sample size. But Eli got his teeth kicked in as a rookie. Peyton got his teeth kicked in as a rookie. Other guys, you know, sat on good teams. Like, there's, but there was a benefit to that. There's a benefit to all this in the growth of a quarterback. So, and also, maybe you could at least see, oh, maybe you could find out, not that Lillette is the long-term answer, but maybe he has the potential to be your bridge guy next year. Maybe in year two you see signs and flashes where you could say, maybe we can have this guy come in and compete with another veteran to be our starter on the cheap and then draft a guy. Maybe you could you could get to that point. So I see benefits in playing Kylo Oletta in these final five weeks of the season. Now, I'll have a story by the time you guys hear this pretty much on Wednesday that will explain when I think is the ideal time to get Kylo Oletta into game action. So, all right. Next question is by Glenn at plus sign. Should Ben have aimed for more gains than 1% in your opinion? And I like this question. I thought it was pretty funny, right? You, he, Ben McAdoo last year, the, the team like motto or was, you know, make gains every day pretty much 1%, 1% gains. And the, the point was that if you get a little bit better, a little bit better every day, every season, you're trending in the right direction. Now I agree. It's a low bar. I want to make 20% gains. Like, 
If I put my money in the bank, do I really want 1%? Right? I don't want to make an investment and get 1% back on my money. I'll be losing compared to the the inflation. Right? So I'll be, it'll be a it'll be a net loss essentially. But remember, they were 11 and 5 that first year. So if you may, if they actually made 1% gains on that 11 and 5 overall, they'd be one of the best teams in the league. So, I see both ends both ends of that, but yeah. Good que- good question. 1% gains not good overall. Should have aimed higher. Instead, they made negative 50% losses. They took negative 50% losses, which in essence got Ben McAdoo fired. So, uh he would have taken 1% in retrospect. At running H no run at running hillbilly Bill H says how do you anticipate the front office answering media questions about how they got so much wrong this past offseason slash season all right here's how it's going to go right the Giants are going to come out after this season they're going to say we were very disappointed in this season it was it was not a good season we understand we inherited a roster that was even worse than we thought this was a rebuilding process. We, you know, we tried to make the best out of it. We always had our eyes and intentions on the long term. We knew this wasn't going to be a quick fix. Now, are you really going to buy that? Probably not. Actually, no. Most people aren't going to be out buy that. Okay, because it simply wasn't true. We all know they tried to slap it together. They came back with a thirty-seven-year-old quarterback. They signed Patrick Omame. Disaster. Right, They moved Eric Flowers to right tackle. They thought that was going to work. He didn't even show up for part of the spring. They sucked it up and put him right back in with the first team. Okay? <laughs> you know, talk about a flawed plan on that right side of the line. That was terrible. Jonathan Stewart, bad move. Alec Ogletree. I mean, the guy gets paid well, over $10 million a year. Does anybody in their right mind, right now, think that Alec Ogletree is... A top five, seven paid, should be a top five paid seven linebacker in the NFL? That he was worth giving up draft capital for? For that money? The Rams are laughing right now. Seriously, think about what the Rams are thinking right now. Thank God we got that off our books. Look what we did. We went and signed Brandon and got Brandon Cooks or traded for him, right? We got Nadamakan Sue. And we got Alec Ogletree off the books. And it's a, maybe they've lost a little bit in terms of veteran play in the middle, but I, I can't imagine, I don't know their middle, how great their middle linebacker's playing. I mean, not great, but is it any, is it significantly worse than Alec Ogletree? So that's how the Giants are going to handle the postseason uh, front office media uh, meeting or press conference. So, all right, final question here from at Nick. Tis. All right. Yes. Honestly, the season's over. So on to what matters most. Top three Christmas movies. Okay. I will only entertain this. And I know this is one of those, you know, hot topics. It's like the popular thing this time of year. I'll only entertain it because it's after Thanksgiving. I was talking about this recently. You can't put up Christmas lights or start talking with Christmas music and all this stuff or gifts and everything until at least after Thanksgiving. That's just like a common courtesy. That's like just a, a rule of life. No Christmas holiday stuff until after Thanksgiving. 
So I'll entertain this. Top three Christmas movies, all right? Here's what came to my head first. First is, you know, Die Hard. I know there's the, the back and forth over whether that's a Christmas movie. That comes up in my head. Christmas Vacation has a spot, okay? Uh, Christmas Story came up, but then I decided, no, not my top three. I like it, the BB gun and all. They're getting the, the, the tongue stuck to the pole. Love that part for some reason. Makes me cringe every time, but there's, there's something about that. And the whole dad with the lamp and the, you know, the, the risque at that time, uh, sexy lingerie, uh, what is it? Stockings, stocking lamp. Classic movie. But in the end, I was never that crazy about it. Now, an off the radar one that came up to me that I always, I mean, I love as a movie, Trading Places. Love that movie. Great movie. Classic movie. Has that whole, uh, Dan Aykroyd in the, the drunk Santa part. So it definitely has a Christmas uh, theme to it at some point. So I'm going to put that in my top three along with Die Hard and Christmas Vacation. And here's here's a bonus for you, okay? No particular order. Those are my top three. And here's a bonus for you. Probably my number four. I really kind of wanted to get it in. And I know it's going to sound lame and some going to be like, what? Are you kidding me? That's a kid's movie. But this was my generation. And entertaining movie at the time was huge. Just a, a fun movie. And I watched it with my daughter recently. Still a good movie. Home Alone. Great Christmas movie. Can't go wrong with Home Alone. Funny parts, you know, the little, the little Macaulay Coughlin action. Macaulay Coughlin. I don't know how to say his name. Whatever it is. He's not a kid anymore, which is crazy. We're just, I'm old. But love me some Home Alone. Great Christmas movie. One of those you watch and you just entertain. You know, you see it on TV. You stop for a few minutes here or there. So to me, that would be my number four. I really, really like that one. So that's it with today's Giants After Dark. On to the next one. All right, let's get into this week's Jordan on the Beat. This is the part where I take you inside the life of being a beat reporter. What I'm going to do here is I'm going to explain something that happened at Monday's press conference, right? So let's take a listen for a second, all right? Uh, what's the balance there between, you know, if you're the playoffs are mathematically impossible and Gosh. trying to look at guys? you gotta, you, you, gotta, you got to think of some other questions. My goodness. You go every week with – giving your team the best opportunity to win the football game each week. All right, there you heard Pat Shermer, right? He's getting on me. I need new material. you got to think of other questions. My God, my goodness, right? Come on. But here's the reality of the situation. And look, the question before is, is Eli Manning going to start against the Bears? Someone else asked him. And he says, yeah. That was his answer. So the natural follow-up to that is you have to get into, well, when are you going to play Kyle Oletta? So I'm asking you're mathematically, you're going to be mathematically eliminated or pretty darn close. How do you balance, you know, trying to win with looking at your long-term future and getting a fourth-round pick into the game? And he gets on me, and yes, I, I go, and I know we've been asking this now for a while because the Giants said we're one and seven and their season was going down the tubes, and we all know, knew this was inevitable. And the reason we're asking it is because the quarterback's 38 years old. They're three and eight. And what do the fans want to know? If, if you, I look at myself and I, I view myself as I'm a conduit between the fans and the coaches and the players. So what I try and ask are questions that I get most from fans and with the feedback I get most and what I think fans want to know. 
So in this situation, it's when are we going to see the rookie quarterback? And that's I, I, I look. It's not everybody. I know there's some people out there that want to play Eli till he can't walk anymore. Okay, until he's in the wheelchair and he's 75 years old, and they have 75, 74 straight losing seasons that they can blame on the offensive line. Okay, fine. You're those are the the Eli backers. They're out there. They want to keep rolling with this as many losing seasons as it takes them. But the reality is, and I think at this point, most of the fan base realizes. And I think we're at this point where they realize that okay, this is the the end is nearing. We need to see what we have with our with Kylo Letta. We want to see what the options are. And is he going to play? When is he going to play? That's a basic question that Pat Shermer has to expect. He has to understand that's what he signed up for. That's what this job is. That's why I keep asking it. And maybe, you know, maybe some of you think I'm wrong. Maybe some of you think I'm right. But it's just part of the exchange here. People want reasons for optimism going forward. That's what it's all about with the Giants and football team right now, right? Because you're not, you can't, even, even the crazies can't sit here and create a, a playoff philosophy, uh, a playoff scenario that actually works. So what you want now is, okay, why can I be positive about my team going forward? What gives me optimism about my team going forward? What do we have on the roster next year? That's why everyone loves watching Saquon Barkley, right? He's an awesome player. He's great. Tremendous. So when you see him do great things on the field, you're like, wow, he's going to be so good. He already is so good. We're going to be good with him. We have him and Beckham. Imagine the things they can do together. And they want the same at the the quarterback position. They want to see something that they say, oh, Maybe Kylo Letta has a little bit of a chance. Maybe he has a 5% chance, a 10% chance, a 20% chance, a 50% chance, an 80% chance to become this team's quarterback. This gives optimism to the future. And it happens every year. It's, it's all cyclical, right? Fans get, they'll get, when, when you stink, fans go down. They're all depressed. I don't want to watch this anymore. And then they want reasons to get pulled back in. Ready? It happens every Sunday. You can't, most people can't sit there and root for their team to lose. They know in the long term, a lot of fans, that it's best for the Giants to lose for draft purposes. But when Sunday comes around, cause you're a fan, that's how it works. You want them to win. You want to see something that gets you excited. Ooh, I saw things there that, you no, know, no, no, there's reason to believe that next year can be better. Right? It's like when you play golf. Right? You always go and you play, you're on the golf course. You play terribly. You're not a good golfer. You're terrible. But you get to that 18th hole. All of a sudden, you hit a couple good shots, you get out of there with a par, and you're like, oh, see, I figured it out. Next time I come back, I'm going to be so much better. And that's what people want to see. And so that's why the Kylo Letta question is applicable here. Because fans want a reason moving forward. This is my belief. I could be wrong. But they want a reason moving forward to be optimistic. And Pat Shermer, let's be honest, he's going to get a version of that question every week now for the rest of the year. Um, because that's the question. Why aren't you playing the younger quarterback? Why do you keep wanting to go with Eli Manning? I mean, he could, he could have his explanation, and that's fine. I mean, right or wrong, everybody can agree and disagree, and that's part of what makes sports fun. But 
the reality is these are the things fans are want to know. And like after the game, he's getting all you know huffy and puffy when we're asking about Saquon Barkley, and specifically, I was asking about Saquon Barkley of why he sat him for that drive, and. Look, I end up being somebody who said I don't mind him sitting for that drive, but he's getting all heated about the questions being about, you know, because because we want to keep him fresh. We want to give him rest. That's fine. But fans during the game are asking about it. So they want you want to give them after the game. You want to give them an explanation. Why'd you do that? Why'd you go for two? Just his line of thinking. That's how the job and the exchange between the media and the coach works. At least it's the way I view it. And so in this case, we want to ask him about the quarterback situation and whether he wants to play Kyle Oletta and how he balances it now that they're pretty much mathematically eliminated. Seems logical and fine to me. So that's where that question came from. All right, let's get into the prediction and wrap this one up. You know, the Giants play the Bears on Sunday. Yeah, they actually do. They play the Bears. Not a great matchup. Khalil Mack... And the Bears front seven, which is tremendous. They have two great middle linebackers, by the way. I don't know if anyone has watched them extensively this year. But Danny Trevathan and Roquan Smith together in the middle of that defense, I mean, two stud linebackers in my opinion. And then you got Khalil Mack, who's just awesome, okay? And if the Bears don't just say, we're going to put you, line you up on the right side and see if Chad Wheeler can block him ever, they're crazy in my mind. But... That, that, and so it's not a good matchup for the Giants. What do the Giants not do that well? Pass protect, right? What do the Bears do well? They rush the quarterback. They're top 10 in the league in sacks. I believe they have 36 sacks. Khalil Mack is pretty much unstoppable. I had a coach tell me last year when the, the Giants played the Raiders, right, that they knew going into that game that they had no chance to block Khalil Mack. And on the other side was Bruce Irvin. Like they had just said they had no shot. And so it's kind of the same thing here going to this game. I mean, they could try. They could, they, they're going to need tight ends. They're going to need running backs. They're going to need everybody helping because they can't just sit there and one on one have anybody try and block Cleo Mack. This guy's tremendous. So bad matchup for the Giants. Whether Mitch Trubisky plays or not, I see the Bears being able to do enough offensively. And the Giants' offense, when they're under pressure, we know... Look, Eli Manning can be successful. And he's shown this throughout the last few weeks. When things are on schedule, when everything's moving, and you know there's not an exorbitant amount of pressure on a specific play, and they're able to make quick reads and do stuff quickly, and they're not in second and third and longs, they could be successful. But the reality is, in the NFL, it's not commonplace to be in those situations. It's actually, you're going to need more than a handful of times to be successful in situations where you're off schedule, where the quarterback has to move around, where you're stuck in a second or third and long. And they're going to be in a lot of those this week. So to me, Bears 24-13, to 13, Prince Amukamara revenge game. Chicago Bears, Prince Amukamara Go home happy. They actually have dance parties in the locker room after each win. So I expect in that MetLife Stadium locker room, the visitor locker room, to be a huge dance party on Sunday as the Bears continue to roll. And they're having a really nice season, you know? Kind of gone under the radar because they're not 
the best team in the NFC. The NFC has some really good teams, the Rams and the Saints. But the Bears are 8-3. and three. I think in most seasons they'd be getting even more attention. But this season, because those other two teams are so darn good, the Bears are kind of a little flying under the radar for how good that they, uh, that they've that they've been. So, I see a pretty solid Bears win, and that's it for this episode. Remember, you can reach me anytime: Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, email. Not by phone. Don't call me. But and and you can find this podcast, Apple, iTunes, any podcatcher for an Android, ESPN app. And make sure you give us good ratings. We like that. It helps. It helps us. It helps everybody. It helps this podcast grow. Make sure you tell one or two of your Giant Fem friends. You got to listen to Breaking Big Blue with Jordan Rana. I'm telling you, it's entertaining. I'm trying to make it entertaining. And I want your questions. Any questions, shoot them to me anytime. Pretty much on any subject. Let's try and keep it fun. And we, we can go off, we can go off football sometimes. I like to, I like to throw a little something else into the mix so it's not just the same giant stuff over and over again. And with that, that's the end of this episode of Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan. See you next time. <laughs>